I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hello and welcome to Lead with Impact. I am Brian, and I am so excited to have you with me for today's episode. Now, if you like the discussions we have around leadership and workplace culture, and maybe what makes an organization a great place to work, or maybe what doesn't make it a great place to work, you are going to love today's episode. You guys know I'm all about that discussion, so I'm really looking forward to speaking to today's guest, Lee Carraher. Lee is the founder and CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing. And that is a national marketing firm that works with beloved and -and up-and-coming consumer tech and wine brands. Lee has a reputation for building cohesive, high-producing teams that get a lot done and have fun at the same time. And I think you'll see she has put a lot of thought into not only marketing, but what makes leadership work and what makes teams come together in order to produce great results. And I'm fascinated by that as well, so I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. So let's meet Lee. And we are fortunate today to be joined by Lee Carraher. Lee is the CEO of Double Forte, a public relations and media firm, and we are very fortunate to have her with us. Thank you so much for being with us, Lee. Brian, I'm so honored to be with you. Thanks for having me. So let's get started by just talking about what you do. How do you help people? Sure. So I have two parts of my brain. One part of my brain is dedicated to Double Forte, which is a public relations and social media firm. And we help people and companies and organizations identify really who they are, why they exist, and um, engage with the consumers and partners and other people that matter to them for their business. And then on the other side of my brain is more of a leadership brain. It comes out of my experience being a CEO for over 20 years. Um, And I really focus hard on how to create positive, high-performing workplaces that are intergenerational. That's very interesting. How did you get started on this journey? On the PR journey, I got started right out of college. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. I didn't know what it, I have a degree in medieval history. I didn't want to become a historian. And my friend Ramona said, hey, Lee, you should go into PR. And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I could do that. And that was a long time ago. And my whole career has been in the public relations and communications industry. On the leadership side, um, I've been... Um, you know, a leader of large teams within large organizations and then um, for a long time. And then I started this company in 2002, so almost 17 years ago um, this year. And then on the le- and what I do for my clients on the leadership side and the communication side with the CEOs, um, my work on um, leadership and book writing and workshops on that really comes out of that work 
helping my clients and their CEOs really communicate better with their consumers, with their employees, and with their partners. What was the bridge to take you from PR to this leadership focus? Yeah. Well, you know, I run a company. So um, I run my own company that I founded with a nickel and two dimes uh, (laughs) back in the day. And I've run teams that are, you know, 700, 800 large people. Um, and I was in entrepre- uh, EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, which is YPO for uh, entrepreneurs. And in that group, um, which is really great, and I highly recommend to your entrepreneurs who are listening, if you are an entrepreneur and you qualify, join this group. Um I really was encouraged by my cohort, my forum cohort, to share what I was sharing just with them, with my private handshake group, um, much more broadly. And then I was also encouraged by with my clients to um, share what I know about communication and how we have, uh, at Double Forte, we've overcome lots of my own missteps in creating great teams. Um, and it really was by those two cohorts um, uh, pushing me forward that I uh, decided that I should, I always want to help people that I should write these books to help people. It's interesting. And what was the name of that organization again? Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. So EO.org, I think is the um, website. EO. All right. We'll put that in our show notes too. You mentioned that you had some struggles building teams and Mm. leading could you walk us through some of those? Sure. You know, when I started my own company, I had already started two companies for a much larger publicly traded um, holding company. And I really, you know, which was great to learn on someone else's time. And when I started my company in 2002, I only hired people who had 10 years of experience. It was 2002. We're in San Francisco. It's not challenging to find people with 10 years of experience <laughs> who were out of work. Then after 2008 implosion of the economy, um, I always think it's important to look at your business model when your um, financials have been rocked, right? You rock them yourself by doing something wrong. Um, you rock them because your industry that you're in has a, you know, some event or where you live has some event. Of course, in 2008, 2009, the world had this event because as you you know, as you think about going forward from that event, um, probably the business model that got you there is not the business model that you should take forward. So my business model was predicated on hiring only people who had 10 years of experience. I realized at that time that we were going to run out of people who had 10 years of experience at the low level because really no one in my industry got hired in San Francisco between 2000 and 2004. So we're going to have this big donut hole. Mm. Of, uh, and I think you should always be bringing people in the bottom of your eligibility. So based on that, and then also, you know, people with 10 years of experience, they cost a lot. And when we're into a huge downturn, I was like, well, that's those two things really pushing us um, for sustainability to hire, you know, people right out of college. And I really didn't think anything of it. As I, I, both of my teams in the previous two jobs, 800, 700 people, 80% of them were under 30. Didn't even think, and really thought nothing of it. Well, um, I failed miserably at, I didn't fail miserably recruiting uh, millennials, but I sucked dramatically at keeping them. And when I say mm-hmm. I, I mean the company, sure. but obviously uh, we're a small company, uh, we're like 35 people and everything comes from me. So um, 
literally we had hired six millennials within um, eight weeks of each other and they were all gone within three months and we only walked one. So five, you know, six bad hires probably didn't make. I've never made six bad hires in a short period of time ever in my career. So it was a, probably was us in retention more than us in recruiting. So I started looking at it. And indeed, uh, the things that were motivating to people who were older and the processes that worked for people who were older did not work for this cohort. So I basically, just to make sure my business had a future, <laughs> I went and started researching and uh, interviewing people. And basically what I found in the research was there's not one positive thing to say about working with millennials, which you know categorically has to be empirically untrue because right. 80 million people cannot all be entitled. Um, and then basically on my own research, in my own interviews, almost a thousand interviews, just to figure it out for my company, I wasn't thinking about writing a book, um, came up with a modus operandi that we have found very successful and then started applying it to my uh, client work. And that's how I, be, well, they, my friends and my clients call me the millennial whisperer. So that's uh -huh. how that happened. <laughs> I love it. I've done a lot of training on millennials uh, too, especially with a more seasoned workforce who mm -hmm. tend to look at them with, as you said, the E word. I hear that every time I do anything with millennials entitled comes up Which so is what, quickly. frankly, is what people said about boom, boomers. I'm the last year of boomers. We were all called entitled. So that is nothing new. And I can tell you as a um, with a degree of medieval history, which is a thousand years of intergenerational conflict, this is not new, right? But we act as if it's never happened before in history. <laughs> and I found, and maybe you can tell me if your experience goes along with this, such a tendency for more experienced boomers maybe to dig in their heels and just say, we're right, we're not moving, they're going to have to come to us. And it doesn't always work that way. It's not the not best way to engage. No, it's not. And I think that the... I think a lot of that has to do with um, our, well, I'm a, like I said, I'm a boomer. I'm last year a boomer. There's a lot of disappointment in what a lot of boomers are doing now versus what they expected to be doing at the age that they're at. And, um, you know, particularly for women who have just changed, radically changed and worked so hard to change the workforce over the last 25 years. Um, and then the men who have, uh, also work so hard to accommodate that change and to facilitate that change. Um, and they're not able to retire. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this has to do with uh, what is normal for people. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we should do it. And also um, some disappointment in the reality of their own careers. What are some of the things that you found that worked to help millennials engage with your workplace? Well, I think that first it can't be, you know, um, it's not just one, it's not a one way thing, right? First, you have to set expectations before people show up to work. Here's how we work. Here are our hours. Here's where we need you to be. Um, here's what we expect for you to wear. Here's how we expect you to act. We start that before people sign on the dotted line. So it is not a shock when people show up in the office and everyone's wearing blue or whatever, right? Mm, right. <laughs> um, like, so one, set expectations and then reinforce them all the time. Two, set context, right? Um, 
my generation is the wait your turn generation. Boomers are called boomers for two reasons. One, because there's so many of us. It was, um, and then two, because the economy was booming and grew in the, you know, in America and Western, so Western countries, um, at an unprecedented rate and it won't happen again. And that time is over. And there was just so much opportunity. If you just waited your turn, you would have, you get a raise, you know, and I was a fast tracker, um, among fast trackers of that. So, you know, I, I really relate to that. So, and so, you know, it was just do it, do it because I said so really worked well for my generation does not work well for this generation because they've never had to right? this is a generation that um, is used to getting solicited for their feedback for the products that they use, is used to having imperfect products in technology, and is used to having their um, parents, basically, you know, a lot of boomer parents and Gen X parents ask them what, how they feel and what they want to do. So when, you know, you go into the workplace and all of a sudden your opinion doesn't count and no one asks you, you can expect a rebellion. So if you can set context, like here's what the project is, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it here, how it, here's how it helps the company. And then the next step is here's your role on the team. And if you don't do your job, we all fail so that everyone understands, even if you're picking up the trash, it's an important job. That context that you set by spending an hour or half an hour at the beginning of every project, every big thing, will save you so much heartache and um, headache. Uh, and then you get people who are actually thinking about how to improve their own role and improve their own process as opposed to bucking the trend. And you speak also something, or you speak also about something called the boomerang principle. Is that tied into this, or is it a little bit different? It is. Um, it's t the boomerang principle is my second book, and the boomerang principle is the concept that if uh, organizations allow and encourage people to former employees to return to them as full employees, that you will have a strategic advantage over your competition. Um, and that came out of my workshops around my first book, because in every workshop I would do, and I've done lots and lots and lots of them, someone would raise their hand and say, I'm not going to put any time into these millennials. They're just going to leave and job hop. And why should I train them if they're going to leave me? You know, once they leave me, they're dead to me. And I was like, <laughs> no, right? That's the worst possible attitude you can have. One, if you don't train this organ, if you don't train these people, they're going to leave you. They are set up, and we all are set up for this. We want to have people invest in us. It's just that millennials have that expectation and say it out loud, right? It's not like we don't all want people and companies to invest in us, right? Um, but if you don't, um, people will not will leave, and I hear it all the time. And I'm, of course, in a compressed. Um, environment here in San Francisco and in New York, but it's happening all over the country. The second piece is, you know, what a waste if you're if people are dead to you when they leave your company because you couldn't accommodate their their personal goals, then you have just um, totally shrank your um, talent pool from which to recruit. You've already spent all this time recruiting people. Um, of course, they're going to leave you. Of course, they know that they shouldn't count on one company for their whole career. Of course, they're not interested in just one thing. And it is extreme hubris to imagine that one company, no matter how large, can actually hold every 22-year-old that comes to them in their interests, in their career, and what they want to do. So instead of having that point of view, one, train them, start training them before they get there. 
train them a lot. Have high expectations. I'm not saying to lower your expectations for performance or behavior, but have them, but say it a lot, right? And then when people um, expect people to share with you what they want to do with their careers and A, help them do it within your own um, organization if you can. Actually, I want to be in podcasting editing. Oh, well, we have a podcast. Let me see if I can. T- let's figure out how we can make that happen. Or when they leave you because they want to go to another place, they want to change their career, they need to go back to school, whatever it is, help them. Help them do whatever it is they want to do because every person who leaves you can hurt you or help you today. Help them help you, right? Help them help you by saying, um, we just want you to be, we want you to be happy. We want you to perform and we want you to come back. And when you've done that, one, you create much better exits for people. How many times have we heard about terrible exits that hurt a company because someone leaves with their brain trust without documenting it, right? Um, and then you're sort of left with all these loose ends and not even knowing how to do things. It happens every single day. But if we help people leave well, right, right. then they're tying up all their loose ends. They're making recommendations. You don't have to take them, but at least you have them. Right. And then they're out in the world saying, you know, that was good. I'd like to return there when I when it makes sense. Um, And you've changed the whole dynamic. And when you change the dynamic of leaving, you change the dynamic of being at a company. And on top of that, each one of those people knows 20 other people. Exactly. Might want to come work for your company someday. Right. And one thing that um, I absolutely advocate for every company of any size is to create a corporate alumni program that keeps people attached to you. You have all their emails. You know their birthdays. You, they, you have all this information, right? Exactly. Keep them attached to you. Send them emails once a month. Put them on the, you know, the newsletter list. When you, for their birthday, send a birthday card. If you're having a special at your company, if you maybe you ordered T-shirts for everyone, add some T-shirts. Send them to the top 20%. You know where these people are. Keep them attached to you. So then when you are ready to hire new people, ask them second. Ask your employees first. Ask your former employees second. Here's a new job. Does anybody know anybody or are you interested? And you will cut down your recruiting time in half and the cost in half. It's brilliant. It seems so simple. And yet, it does seem simple, but yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, it boggles my mind how an organization rightly looks out for its own interests and is willing to cut ties with people, and as they should many times, in the best interest of the organization, but yet not realize that people are going to act in their own best interest too. And always. That always. The fact that. It's not loyalty, right? Loyalty. Loyalty is not being paid for something. That is a transaction. Staying in an organization for a long time is not a loyal act. One assumes they're getting paid. And yes. right. And if you're getting paid, it is not a loyal act to do a good job. You're doing a good job because that's what you're getting paid for. A loyal act is when you're not working for the company anymore. There's no compensation expected and you're out there going, you know what? You should meet Brian. Brian would be great for your organization. Brian looking for a new job. He's sort of bored. He wants to go to the next step. They're not letting him do it. But I'm going to introduce you to Lee because I think there might be a space there. And even if there's not a space there, I know you now, Brian. And I'm like, oh, you know what? You should go talk to my client, George. You know, blah, blah, blah. And that's a loyal act, looking out for, you know, connecting people or becoming a partner. You know, I go to another company. Um, we're going to do something new. Oh, my gosh. You need to go talk to Lee because um, – you know, they have a product that would be great if we packaged it up together, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a loyal act. Being Showing up for work is not a loyal act. Although you do need to show up, but it's still <laughs> not a loyal act. 
I love that clarity. <laughs> so I saw also in your writing, you mentioned the new employer-employee loyalty paradigm. Is that what you're getting at? That's where I'm getting at, is that it's about... Um, we, I am not, when you hire someone, you know, they're going to leave you, right? Every single time we know they're going to leave. The only person has to stay here is me. You know, I own the place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and we, when we hire someone, we know they're going to leave. So just get out of the way and say, we, we know you're going to leave. We, and I say this to my employees, they've been here for, or we, I usually meet everybody in the first couple of weeks, you know, one-on-one for lunch or something. And I say, okay, Joe, I know you're going to leave us. I hope you're here for a long time, but I know you're going to leave. And here, and they sort of look at me like, Lee, I just got here. Why are you talking about me leaving? Because it's true, right? It's true that you're going to leave. So just let's take that off the table. And what I'm interested in is having you have the best experience here possible. Um, And that includes performing really well, being interested in your work, and raising your hand when you do something different. And then I will do everything in my power to make sure that the company can accommodate what you want to do within the confines of our work. Um, that is what, so I have just said that the company is going to help my employee do what they want to do in the confines of what we do for a living, right? So we've had people who went and got nursing degrees. We are not a hospital. We cannot help you go do that except to say, if you want to go to nursing school at night and you work here part-time, we can do that, right? That's a loyal act, Um, And then the loyalty comes back. Right. So maybe they do get um, recruited. But, you know, it's pretty good here. Um, It's still not a loyal act to not leave. Right. Because that you're being paid. But after the fact, your business is so much stronger because you have former employees who are loyal to your the ethos of your company. And that's really I'm not interested in having people be loyal to me while I pay them. I'm interested in having people be loyal to me for the rest of their careers. That's what's really powerful. I agree. And in fact, one of the worst things somebody can do is to disengage but stay. And exactly. To hate coming to work every day and to watch the clock until they can get out at five o'clock every day and just drag themselves through day after day after day. It helps yeah. no one. The most, the most loyal act a employee can do is leave when they're not engaged. Yeah. That's, That's right. the most loyal act somebody can do for you. Don't make me fire you. Leave. Come and say, you know what? This is not interested anymore. Or I'm having a crisis at home or whatever it is that's making you despondent. Or maybe you're mentally, you know, maybe you have some mental health issue or whatever it is. But the more you can be transparent with your, and I realize not all organizations are evolved like I'm talking. But the most loyal, you know, when you, when you know your performance is going down, don't be kidding yourself. We all see it. Right? We all see it. And... Um, you know, the, and just say, you know, this doesn't really interest me more and move from like the two week notice to a three month notice, something like, you know, I really, I really want to do something else, but I really need this job because I am paying the bills at home and my husband's at home or my wife's at home. We need the income. So how can, you know, can you, um, I am willing to put my hundred percent in here, but please know that I'm I do want to do something else. Can we can we create a plan for my exit that helps the company and helps me? You know, that is that's where we all need to get to. Yeah, I agree. You also talk about not letting people be wrong. What do you mean by that? Yeah. 
You know, um, this is particularly true around um, language like deadlines, <laughs> right? Deadline is the worst. The deadline, the language around deadlines creates so much conflict and dissatisfaction, right? Someone like myself who's older would say, you know, I need that by the end of the day. Um, end of the day to someone under 30 means 11.59.59 p.m. in whatever <laughs> time zone they are in. Truly. Yeah. Because what has happened in high school and in college, now that everything is being, um, most things are submitted by electronically, that is the predominant deadline in college, 11.59.59 p.m. in whatever time zone you're in. So then they get to the workplace, yeah, give it to me by the end of the day, and they send it to you at 11.59.59 p.m. So they're they're technically correct, but of course they're wrong, right? (laughs) Right. So instead of saying using terms that have um, that are uh, basically open ended, they end of day used to mean five thirty or six o'clock. That's what it used to mean. Close of the business used to be uh, the doors close at six o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that anymore. So instead of doing or say later, don't say later. Say two o'clock to today by email, please. So driving specificity into all of your direction lets them be right and right as opposed to being right and wrong at the same time. Because if they're right, there is the 11.59.59 technically is the end of that calendar day, but is not acceptable, you know, it's not an acceptable um, deadline for the workplace. So really driving specificity, I need this by Friday, June 7th at 10 a.m. by email in this time zone. Um, and we have people all over the country. We have people, uh, clients all over the world. So we have to be really specific on that. Otherwise, you know, chaos happens. Right. So it's your job as the manager, the leader to be specific. And it's your job as the person who gets the assignment to drive specificity. And if it's not there, when you mean end of the day, like, like 11, 59, 59, or do you leave end of day? <laughs> Oh, actually, I mean two o'clock because I'm leaving early today, so I need two o'clock. Yeah, you know. Gotcha. So specificity. Now you've come a long ways, it sounds like, and you have done quite a bit. Did you have any mentors that helped you along the way? So many mentors. Um, one of my favorite mentors is Mary Jean Lozier, who is my CEO at Weber Shandwick and at the Weber Group. You know, she just had a great way of tilting her head to the left and going, tell me more. So I channel her often. Um, another mentor, it was one of my father's best friends, Chip Morris. He was a lawyer. He's um, since passed. But he really helped me understand how to um, drive gravitas into my presentation. Um, and he was just, as I started my own company, he was, you know, so tremendously helpful. Thank you for sharing that. It's always helpful to me to learn who helped others, and uh, it just makes us more aware of it, I think. Mm-hmm. No one gets anywhere by themselves. That so is the we truth. all need mentors. Mentors, you know, I have had mentors for like a minute, right? <laughs> what do you think about mm. that? And <laughs> mentors for decades, right? So we all need mentors. Um, and one of the best things about being a mentor is what you learn from the other person because there's no such thing as a one-way street in these kind of organs. You know, you shouldn't set up yourself up to be a mentor for someone who's not willing to share as well. You mentioned books. You've got two books. Is that right? Would you I do. explain that to us one more time? Sure. So my first book is called Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. 
Um, and my second book is called The Boomerang Principle, How to Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And they're both available at bookstores and at Amazon and independent bookstores online. You can find them anywhere. All right. Perfect. We'll link those up in the show notes and help people find them that way. A couple more questions. Here's my favorite philosophical question that I always ask, and I love getting the answers here. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to take care of yourself first, um, and then you can take care of everybody else. Um, a few years ago, I had a health crisis um, that I had be, you know, had been building, building, building over time, and I just pushed through it, and I, I was anemic. And I pushed through it by just basically eating a huge Costco bag of spinach every single day. And that is irrational <laughs> behavior. But, at the, you know, I just thought myself, oh, I can't do it. I can't take care of my, I mean, I, I can't go have the surgery. I can't go da 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 da, da. Uh, You know, they'll die without me. No one's going to die without you. Trust me. Um, and if I could have told myself earlier on to take care of myself first and your business will be better, that's the message I would send to myself. That's valuable. And hopefully someone out there hears it and applies it. And Please. La and la last question, what does the future hold for Lee? Well, I think, um, uh, well, my younger son just graduated from high school. <laughs> so I'm almost an empty nester. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yes. Uh, a few things. One, we're going to, uh, a lot of business inquiry is coming from the Midwest, and we're going to expand Double Forte into the Midwest uh, later this year. Um, and I have a couple of books that um, are percolating in the background. So I think it's going to look a little bit um, bifurcated like it does today because it keeps me interested. Um, at the same time as uh, what really ex makes me excited at my job is the people who are coming up behind me as leaders in the organization. I'm putting a lot of time into them. Great. And where can people connect with you online, Lee? The best place to go is my personal website, www.leecarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can find my agency, Double Forte, there. You can find my blog there. You can find my books there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Lee Carraher and on Instagram at, at Lee Carraher and, link, and LinkedIn, Lee Carraher. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. You've really provided some clarity around the employer-employee paradigm, as you put it. And I love your message, and I think that's going to help people out when they hear it. I hope so. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Brian. Great to be with you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. So much of it really resonated with me. I loved Lee's thoughts about the generational struggle especially as millennials come into the workforce more and more. As I said in the podcast, it's been something I have dealt with a lot in my career, done a lot of training around it, and it's such a complex, but in some ways also a simple issue. And I think she did a very nice job of summing it up, and I love her approach. And I really loved her idea about the new employer-employee paradigm and I love this quote also. Uh, what was it? She said, when you change the dynamic of leaving, you change the dynamic of being at a company. And I think there's a lot there to chew on. So I really love this conversation with Lee. I hope you enjoyed it as well and took some value from it. 
let me know. Give me a shout. You can find me at www.brianrollo.com. And if you could take a moment to interact with whatever platform enabled you to find this podcast, like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that stuff, it would be really meaningful to me. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Go out there and lead with impact. And I'll see you next time.